Hello, this is A.R. Bernard, and welcome to my podcast. My objective, it's simple, to create a platform where you can be educated, informed, and inspired as you navigate the intersection of faith and culture. If you have no faith, maybe you'll find it here. So, thanks for tuning in. To the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, to whom belongs all glory, honor, and praise, we humble ourselves in prayer, seeking your wisdom and guidance as we accept the responsibility to guide, guard, and govern this great nation. As the prophet Jeremiah said, we stand at a crossroad. We join our hearts and minds in the simple prayer of the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures and the prophet of the New Testament. We ask, thy kingdom come. Not a future messianic kingdom that we leave in your care and control, but the power of your presence in the here and now. The power that changes the hearts, minds, and lives of people by truth, righteousness, justice, and peace, and thus transforms our nation, its political constructs, our social institutions, their systems, structures, policies, and practices that while elevating some, tend to marginalize others. The power that transforms relations between government and citizens, labor and capital, between neighbors and friends, between the members of a household. Let our love of a free market and our responsibility for the most vulnerable collaborate towards the common good. Help us to clarify our role and function, both domestic and abroad. Help us to understand the meaning of our identity as one nation under God. Bring the spirit of renewal of our, to our nation. Reawaken passion, fervor, and creativity towards purpose. Let it begin with the individual and spread to our culture. We understand that this is a big prayer, but you are a big God. So we ask you and trust you to help us, O oh God, and hear our prayer. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. We want to take the opportunity. Well, welcome, welcome to CCC. Family, if you're watching online, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank amen. you for your commitment uh, to being a part of the ministry. You know, I said, I said one thing that you see when the doors open is, you know, we're going back to a core group of individuals. People are saying, no, I'm committed to this thing. I'm going to walk this walk. Yeah, my, my life might have been shaken because of COVID, but ain't nothing like being together in the house of God. Amen? Amen. In person. Yes. In person. But I need a, I need a, I have a favor. We have a special guest here with us. Her name is Willie Ray Chandler. Willie, Willie Ray Chandler is 92 years old. It was her birthday, and we just want to celebrate individuals like this. Come on, we can do better than that. Would you stand? Look, and she can stand. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. See, when I look at longevity of life, I think about the amount of faith you had to have as you walk this walk. You've seen some things. 
92. Yes, 92 years old. You've seen some things. You've seen you know, the depression. You've seen you know, the, 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 the crisis of America and the globe. And man, to, to walk with that type of faith. To walk at 92. I'm looking forward to that. Or just let a long, long just walk. walk. <laughs> just, just to be walking. <laughs> And you didn't see her jog to church this morning, but <laughs> the Chandler family has been a part of our fellowship for many, many years, and we're grateful to them, and we just want to honor. I mean, that's, that's longevity, amen? Yes. And that says a lot. It's so much life and wisdom that has been experienced that she can give back. Just to give a little context, uh, that prayer was actually the opening prayer for the Senate this past week. I was invited... Uh, to Washington, D.C., to uh, pray for the opening of the Senate. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer was very instrumental, and uh, Senator uh, Kirsten Gillibrand as well. And it was a wonderful prophetic opportunity and prophetic responsibility to say those things that can bring us together. And it wasn't meant to be a Republican prayer or a Democrat prayer. Uh, or left or right, but how we can come together and expect God's blessing and his power uh, to bear on our nation, on our society. Prophet Jeremiah said we're, prophetically said, we're at a crossroads to the nation of Israel, and surely we are, as a nation, at a crossroads where we have to figure out who we are and our role and function domestically and abroad, because your role and your function drives your identity. Your role and your function drives your identity. And if we don't know our role and our function, we'll be in an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. Got it? Your role is the, the, the conduct and behavior that is expected of you because of your position. Your function is what you do, how you perform. So the role, uh, for example, a teacher. A teacher plays a certain role in society. So we have certain expectations of how a teacher should conduct themselves, his or herself, how they should carry themselves. Amen? And that's, there's certain expectations. And that's a great thing because that's some of the tension that a lot of teachers are trying to step into a role that they're not really supposed to step into when it comes to certain discussions. And, you know, so I, I, that's a great... Yeah, I mean, as clergy, as clergy, as pastors, we occupy a certain role in society. So there are certain expectations of how we conduct ourselves as pastors, as clergy. Now, a teacher's role demands certain behavior, certain optics, right, certain conduct in relationship to students and society at large. But that teacher's function is to teach, to encourage, to empower, to communicate, to pass on information, all of that. That's the function. So we have to distinguish between role and function. But those two things come together to define uh, identity. So if you're not clear what your role is and what the expectations are, if you're not clear, you can be clear of your function, but not your role. Mm -hmm. You know? So that's very, very important. So I took on a prophetic role and prophetic responsibility, and then to function in prayer to bring and manifest that prophetic role and responsibility 
uh, for our nation. So it was a great opportunity. It was just, as, as a son, it was just great seeing my dad up there. I was, like, I was sharing with everybody. I'm like, that's my dad right there. <laughs> he holding it down for us. <laughs> and it went viral. I mean, I've gotten feedback from across the country and around the world. Um, you never know, right? You just do what you do. You never know. I think what's beautiful about it was two aspects. The prayer was amazing, right? It, and, and it was outside of a normal... Uh, rhetoric of the, you know, what the Christians have come up and done before. And then you can just see the appreciation that this leadership has and respect that they have for you. So it was, it was like a, you saw the two different things happen at the same time because he introduced you, then she said thank you, and then he came back up, uh, Senator Schumer came back and just went on, continuing, so you can see the impact that you're having in different lives, and that, that, that just shows how God is taking you, elevating you to the next level. You know, thank you. Um, as a father, I want to make you proud, my family proud. You hear that? As, as a father, you, gotta make, you want to make your... <laughs> as a pastor, I want to make my congregation proud uh, of your leadership, of your pastor, right? And as a citizen and uh, an influencer in our nation, I want to make our nation proud. Uh, and most of all, I want to make my Lord proud as I represent the kingdom, as I represent the spirit of Christ. You know, I was meditating on that passage of scripture in Luke where Jesus talks about giving out the 10 minas and then he goes away, right? And comes back. And what does he say in Luke 19, 13? He says, do business, occupy, King James language, occupy till I come. How many are familiar with that passage? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he comes back and he judges based upon uh, what they did with what he gave them. But the word occupy uh, in the Greek, uh, it means to do business. Essentially, it means to make maximum use of God's gifts and opportunities in your life. This is what he was telling the disciples who would continue ministry after he leaves to take the message to the world, right? Again, occupy. Not military occupation, but spiritual occupation. occupation. Occupying the spirituality of the world, which is in darkness, and being that light in the darkness. So we all have a responsibility to make maximum use of our gifts, our God-given gifts, and God-given opportunities. That was a God-given gift and a God-given opportunity. Amen? And we are to look for those opportunities with expectation. Someone asked me, you know, were you prepared for that? I spent my whole life preparing for that. <laughs> my whole life preparing for that. Um, and, and gathering and articulating and, and, and the words. Because remember, it's a war of what? Words. That was spiritual warfare. Whether you... Come on, are any... Are you at that level with me? How many understand that I was wielding the sword of the Spirit in the halls of power? Are you, are you all getting me this morning? Got to understand what's going on. Gotta, otherwise, you'll diminish its value. No, no, no. There's a whole lot going on spiritually in situations like that. So, thank you for Senator, thanks Senator Schumer, Senator Gillibrand. Uh, CJ, 
uh, Clement James and, and, and his working together. And also, at the same time, uh, I was in D.C. for uh, an African-American uh, leader, Faith Leaders Summit, where faith leaders from around the state came together to talk about our prophetic responsibility with what's happening in our nation uh, right now, in, in our state right now. Um, it, it's amazing that we have the most people of color in positions of power and influence than in the history of this nation and in the history of this state. We have a responsibility to the next generation, the next two generations, right? What we do with this opportunity that's presented before us. So things are happening, so please keep in prayer. And let me say something, it's easy to, to stand on the sidelines and criticize. <laughs> That's easy. All right? The difficulty is getting involved, yep. getting out on the field, getting in the game. Amen? And, and being a part of what's happening. Praise the Lord. So that was D.C. And prior to D.C., we were in uh, Bethel, Pennsylvania, at the pastor's prayer summit. Uh, prayer summit. What was your takeaway? And because we, remember, you and Adam were here last Sunday and you prayed specifically for that. Mm -hmm. What was your takeaway? I, I think it's, uh, um, it was, it was so much going on. I, I wish we had the really time to really pinpoint it. And I was, <laughs> I know, um, refreshing and empowering. Is it, if I had to boil down most of what happened, it was, it, was, it, it refreshed, renewed the individuals and empowered them to go to this next level. I think it was a next level shift, not just a, we got together, we prayed, we energized, empowered to go uh, and just minister, but no, go to the next level. Next level personally um, and um, ministry-wise. Yeah, and you know, uh, Pastor Jamal is a much better networker than I am, so he's in the mix of all of these relationships and networks across the country, but what we're doing is taking uh, the pastor uh, prayer summit to other uh, states and other cities across the country. And we're looking at having them simultaneously, so we're working towards that. But as we said, burnout is big amongst leaders uh, and pastors. I was on um, the Reverend the Rabbi show, we did it live this morning, and we were talking about what took place in, in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, and um, just the fact that even with police officers, interestingly enough, we're not experiencing this so much in New York City, but in other cities across the country, you know, competent, credible individuals who could go into law enforcement don't want to. Uh, even persons of color, mm -hmm. uh, because of public, negative public sentiment about being a law enforcement officer. So they, they want to, they have desire. Look, it's a great career, great pension. I mean, it's just, just so many things that are good associated with civil service, uh, but many don't want to take on the job because in, in some uh, in context of color, they feel that they're betraying their community by becoming, you know, the man. <laughs> Come on, how many remember that statement? Don't leave me out here by myself. <laughs> Y'all baby boomers. Yeah, um, and, and it's, it's unfortunate. We don't have the same problem here as much in, in, in New York City. 
But it's true in, in, in ministry. I was talking to the cardinal. It's a tough time getting people to go into the priesthood. Uh, in Protestantism, you know, um, there are a lot of burnout in, in pastors and churches. Uh, it's, just, it's just really, really heavy. But these are the times that really test what you're made of and test, what, test whether you're called or not. Amen? Because when your call is a conviction, convictions grow stronger under pressure. They're non-negotiable. They're unchangeable. And that calling has to be a conviction. Do you really believe what you believe? What you say? Amen. That's right. Do you really believe it? That's been a constant thread since Yeah. Is is your faith in Jesus Christ something you prefer? Mm -hmm. Or is it a conviction? Is it something that you're fully and totally committed to? And I think those are important questions that, that, that God allows us to have to ask uh, along the way. He said to Israel, I brought you out here to test you, right? To see if you were going to be committed, right? That wasn't, God didn't need to know that. God knows everything. They need to know it. Amen? So God doesn't need to know whether you're going to be faithful. You need to know. And the only way you're going to know is through the testing, through the trials. Amen? That's good preaching right there. So, uh, but uh, but I must say, so we had pastors uh, that came up from Nashville, you know, down in uh, Tennessee, not too far from Memphis, and all they kept saying is, how do we do this? Because they said that there's nowhere else uh, that they've seen in Tennessee that is accomplishing what we have accomplished, even though it has been 30 years, they still are amazed that it happened. They get over 350 pastors together in a room to stay up there for three days, practically three days, uh, just worshiping and praying together. Yeah, and be encouraged and empowered by word and teaching and equipped mm-hmm. uh, uh, as well. We won't go into that, um, but e- e- equipped as well. And what we found, and, and this is true, you know, uh, because we've tested this, there, there is some of the best interfaith, ecumenical, and interreligious cooperation in New York State and New York City than in anywhere in any city across the country. Mm-hmm. We've gathered the information, it's come back to us, but the kind of cooperation that we experience amongst clergy, even though we may differ in doctrine, in, in, in practice, in tradition, etc., we've learned that we need each other. And we're seeing more and more of that spirit of collaboration uh, uh, experience in the world of, of faith. You know, because there are certain things that are just the common good. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what faith you are. Amen? So this morning we were talking about it. We, I guess we're going to go into Memphis. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, well, you're yeah. gonna, you you want something else you want to say about no, the summit? I'm gonna say quiet because I'm, I I want to make sure that I maintain a, a certain my certain composure because there's so much going on between the social media platforms of treating this Com- concerning Memphis. Yeah, and the, and the sh- you know, some, some, some legit questions. And you then, keep saying shooting, but this was not a shooting. Right. This was a, this was a beatdown. This was a. A murder. Because I had one individual, he, he, he said, you just comply. And I'm like, mm. 
And I just keep to, quiet? Just comply, just comply. I'm like, mm. Comply. Yes. So, so it, it just, it just, so I, I, so I, I won't get us kicked off any network again. I'm gonna. gonna That's right. They kicked you off. <laughs> no, us. We're together on this one. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing. Within communities, especially from what what we gathered from, what came to us from from Memphis. Three things, anger, confusion, and tears. Anger because it's a continuity of the abuse of power by people that we put in positions of trust. That's the anger, right? Um, confusion with anger because typically it's been white police officers deadly assaulting persons of color. But this was five black officers. So it shows the problem you, is deeper. Huh? It shows the problem is deeper. Well, it, it shows that, number one, there's a value system that needs to be challenged. All right? Um... But the anger and, 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 and confusion is that there was a time when blacks could, were not allowed to be police officers in this country, its history. So we thought that by getting persons of color into the police department, it would help to change the narrative. But to now see our own perpetrating the same things, which means they've adopted to a culture that needs to be dismantled, uh, it's disheartening, it's embarrassing, and it brings tears um, to, to our community and to black police officers. And unfortunately, the many become judged by the few. Yeah. Because if I may bring balance, because there's a lot of police officers of color that struggle. Because just like a person who opens up a business, people of color, to, in a neighborhood of color, they always want to hand me out. Like, yo, can I get the hookup? Like, no, support the establishment. Be prepared to pay more, right? You know, do more to help support the establishment. It's the same way they look at the cops, like, yo, can I get the hookup? In order to think that the cop is their buddy, and he's like, no, look, you're putting me in a weird position because you're acting a certain way. I'm a person of color. Now, how do you expect me to police you? Yeah, and see, and we, we have to understand this. Dr. David Ireland was one of the presenters at the summit, and he pointed to uh, Daniel mm -hmm. and Daniel's experience. Because how many read the book of Daniel? It's in the Old Testament. <laughs> Right next to the book of Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you look for that book, you're in trouble, okay? <laughs> but understand Daniel's context. He was a minority in a dominant culture of Babylon. Different religious uh, tradition, different cultural tradition, different language, all right? Different worldview. 
he was taken into captivity. He was also trained, ingrained in the culture. And the scripture said in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel and his men were 10 times better than the others in that same position in the king's court. And it speaks to the fact that when you are a minority coming into the dominant culture, you have to work harder. Mm -hmm. You have to be 10 times better because you're being judged by a different standard. So Daniel and God through Daniel, well, I got goosebumps, <laughs> set the bar. And the bar, the reality is the bar is higher when you are a minority in any context. It could be reverse. Amen? Amen. Uh, racially or ethnically. It, it, it is true because when you look at hip-hop and rap, when the minority tries to infiltrate the hip-hop, they have to be at a next level. You know, they have to be able to spit bars at a level where you're like, okay, we got to respect that. You know, where you get another individual who's you know, a mediocre and average, and he tries to come in and he starts rapping and stuff like that. So you look at it like an Eminem. Eminem had to come into an, another level uh, with his ability to articulate yeah, metaphorically, you know, everything that's going on. And so it is true. It yeah. can be reversed. So, so when you're a minority going into a context where there's a dominant presence, right, you have to work harder. So that should be our attitude, not give me a handout, not feel sorry for me. Yeah, I need a hand up because I'm starting at a disadvantage, but I don't want to become dependent on that hand up. I want to be able to take pride in my own work and accomplishment and achievement. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of frustration. I do uh, commend our police commissioner here in New York City, and this, uh, this was the practice across the country for the most part that they reached out to clergy, they reached yeah, out on, to community leaders. I was on one of those Zoom calls, right? And just just to get out in front of all of this, and and that's what we need to do. We need to communicate, not take sides. Communicate, amen, and build the kind of relationships that uh, help us avoid this kind of stuff. So as yeah, a but nation, that's, that's, that's a lot easier to say when you're on the other end and you've experienced that treatment. You know, you're saying don't take sides, but it's, it's very difficult uh, to, to, to interact with that grouping if you're on the, that end of the spectrum being mistreated, abused, and, 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 and um, looked less upon, you know, especially from the police department. Well, you know why I can be sensitive? Because I don't want to be judged by the, by the few bad Negroes. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I, I didn't say it wasn't possible. Was that possible. raw enough for y'all this morning? <laughs> How many understand what I'm talking about? You know, l listen, this is what happens. When there's, like, when there's a mass shooting, right? Every ethnicity and race is hoping it's not one of them. <laughs> the white people are saying, I hope he ain't white. <laughs> black people say, I hope he ain't black. The Asians are saying, I hope he ain't Asian. The Latinos are saying, I hope he ain't. Come on, isn't it true? And that's America. We are hoping that it's not one of ours. And when it's something good, we're hoping it is one of ours. 
This is real, folks. And God is real, and the Bible is real, and life is real, and we need to know how to live it for real. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So, that's our statement. <laughs> you know, again, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but, but I, I commend, you know, our nation, and, and, and I think prayer has a lot to do with that. Involvement of, of, of the, the religious community has a lot to do with that, that we didn't React. And I think that we're learning how to handle things, these things better. And it's my hope that we're learning how to handle these things better. Uh, yeah, we are. I think on different levels to see how um, they responded, uh, reaching out to clergy, how they responded with having conversations with the police department and say, okay, let's, let's learn from this, right? So the, the, the objective yep. is everybody's on call, but let's learn from the previous issues and let's see how we can do things better. So you can see uh, across the board from different levels uh, in the community that uh, people say, okay, how can we do this better? How can we voice our um, disappointment at a better fashion, better manner? Yeah. And that's why your eschatological perspective <laughs> is important. <laughs> Whether you're joining us from Cape Town, South Africa, Dallas, Texas, Los Angeles, California, Jakarta, Indonesia, London, England, uh, and these are all real places, we just welcome you. Thank you for being a part of our spiritual family. Look, come on, let's give our online campus some love and appreciation. Thank you for being with us, part of CCCC. But last week, and as we intertwine throughout the year, you know, our theme of renewal, signs of the times, um, and what else we throw in there? Eschatological messianic context. Uh, as, as we incorporate Favor. all of these, huh? Favor. God's favor. What else? Come on. Three things we need. God's what? Favor, wisdom, and courage. Courage. What are the three things we need? Favor, God's favor, wisdom, and courage. What, again, what are the three things we need? Favor, wisdom, and courage. Absolutely. And that's for the rest of your life, not just this year. That's for the rest of your life. So when we think about eschatological messianic text. We were talking about the Old Testament. The reason why I got into some theological issues because there are some people in schools of thought who reject a Christology of the Old Testament. In other words, they don't believe that the Old Testament talks about the coming of a Messiah. All right? Especially Jesus Christ. There are those who call themselves Christians, identify as Christian scholars, and they don't believe. But this house, the theology of this house, all right, the Old Testament enfolds Christ, the New Testament unfolds Christ. Got it? The, the Old Testament what? And the New Testament? So we believe in, in that the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, uh, is an eschatological messianic text. So what do we mean by eschatology. I'm glad you asked. It's simply ology, study of, esca, it, it simply means a study of last things or final things, the end of history, the end of this age, this period 
in human history. The, where history leads. And there is mystic eschatology and there's historical eschatology. Mystic eschatology you will, you, you meet up with in Eastern religions and philosophy, Buddhism and um, uh, Hinduism, where there's this, where history has no end. It's a continuous cycle of, of, of life, death, and rebirth over and over and over. And, and you try to reach a point where you escape this reality. And, and, and history is the arena of the horrors of chaos. That's despair. That's not what we believe. We believe in a historical eschatology. Write that down. Theology of our house. Historical eschatology. And historical also adds apocalypticism, uh, millennialism, uh, and I'm not talking about millennial generation, but a thousand year period. Ours is a historical eschatology, a historical belief um, that that we are moving in a definite direction. History is not just random stuff happening and we just keep repeating it over and over again to no end. No, we believe that history is moving in a very specific direction. All right, and you know, we are one of the three Abrahamic faiths, um, uh, Judaism, Christianity, uh, and Islam, and they all subscribe to an eschatology and end time. Some are apocalyptic, which simply means that they believe that God is going to intervene uh, in human history, bring this all to a close with wrath, devastation, and destruction, and you're all going to die. <laughs> and there are those who say, no, God's going to bring judgment and then usher into us into a millennial period, a thousand years, and even that is under debate. All right, but I think what's important is, is this. Our, all right, we believe that history will end with the restoration of creation, the restoration of Eden. That's the meta-narrative, the restoration of creation. For those who are watching, can you define meta-narrative? Meta, meta means large, mm -hmm. right? Narrative is a story that we believe gives us, informs our beliefs, our, our attitudes, our choices, what we understand about what it means to be human, what it means to live in this world, and what we understand about God. We all have a narrative. The atheists have a narrative, mm -hmm. right? Um, there's always this narrative that's informing us. We, get, we, we, we subscribe to a biblical narrative. So the Bible and the stories of Scripture inform us in terms of what we believe about, about human existence. What does it mean to be human? Right? And this is important because that belief influences actions like the actions of those police officers. That was a matter of making a judgment about the worth, dignity, and life of a human person. Mm -hmm. You understand? That was a judgment call. And in their minds, that life was no better than an animal. Because you don't treat a human being like that if you believe in the worth, dignity, and life of the human 
person, that we were created in the image of God. And that's a status that's conferred upon us from the moment of conception. Not something we gain because of the school we attended, the family name we carry, how much money we've got, what, how many degrees we have. No, no. Without all of that stuff, we believe that every human being is made in the image and likeness of God and is therefore worthy of respect, honor, and dignity, and worth, and value. And we should treat them accordingly. It blew me away after Cain killed Abel, God still offered him protection. <laughs> Read the book, folks. Amen? Even gave his protection to a murderer. Why? Because God was honoring the life and dignity of the human person. That's where it begins, and of course, the, the, the common good. So, so ours, eschatology, is therefore... And historical eschatology. Got it? Historical eschatology. Because it's grounded in the events of history. Mm -hmm. It's grounded in the Abrahamic story, the Exodus story, the, the Noah story. All right? The, the, the pre-Adamic world, that story. It's grounded in time. It's grounded in events in time. And they provide a structure of history that is essential for progress. I'm going to say that again. It provides a structure for history. It provides a structure of history that is essential to progress. To live in a world where it's just life, death, and rebirth just repeats itself without going in a definite direction, that's despair. That's despair. Our belief is the, restora the restoration of Eden, the redemption of humanity, and the restoration of Eden. And the overriding theme is human flourishing. It, it, it talks about meaning. You know, there's meaning to my particular individual life. There's something yeah. bigger than just the history of coming back. You know, and what he's talking about, in some essences, is where people believe in reincarnation. I just keep coming back. And then exactly. when you look at the class system, the, more, the better I do now, when I come back, I'll be in a higher caste. So if I'm in a lower caste, it's because of how I lived my previous life. Hopefully, I'll come back as rich and yeah. powerful and all that. No, that's true. That's, how they, that's, I, what, I, that's what they believe, especially in India. And what gets me is you can come back downgraded from human. Yep. As a cow. The cows. And that's why they're sacred. Rats being sacred. Yes. And allowed to infestate. How many understand what I'm talking about? And God made very specific differences between the species and levels of life. That's why it's so important. Because this informs how you think about yourself. How you think about and interact with others and within society. This is very, very critical. In fact, I'm going to... I'm going to give him a test. Can I do that? Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't enough support. Can I test him? Let's see how good he is. Thank you. Who said no? Thank you. <laughs> My man. <laughs> My man, I got some love. <laughs> so so if, if it's rooted in history and history gives a historical framework, 
what is that biblical historical framework? <laughs> so we, we've, we've spoken about this years wait, wait, ago. Wait, 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 wait. All right. Well, that can be defined framework. No, you don't. <laughs> Tried. But, but framework is very, I think, I, I, something we do need to define. A frame that works. <laughs> Let's see if you got it. But it's, 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 it's <laughs> so the first one, and this is key. This is key because uh, we can spend time on the first one, which is, number one, I'm going to try to write like my, like my dad. <laughs> He's stalling. <laughs> the question is, am I spelling it correctly? Right? Let me see. Well, if you're going to write like your dad, you're allowed to misspell. All right. <laughs> Number one is creation. And, and, and I, I believe that this is key because when you look at creation, that sets the tone of how you interact with creation. It sets the tone of how you interact with God. Right? Because remember, uh, the God of Genesis is the same God of today, right? And that's why it's so significant because when we approach the throne and sometimes we, we, we approach it in, in ignorance or lack of information, lack of understanding, that we are approaching the God of, uh, of today. So when you look at the progression of life based on history, it starts at creation, Right? We have to have some foundation of what was creation. How did it start? What did it look like? Who is the beginning of all of this? Why is the beginning here? Why do we even exist? And that's some of the questions that these other entities or other mind, uh, uh, frameworks. They're asking those questions. Asking those questions. Yeah. So because they can't answer, they went to a mytholo mythological. Mythic. Mythic framework. <laughs> mythic. <laughs> a mythic framework. Because if I can't trying to reason, I uh, just come up with an idea that just sounds good. So n number one is creation, and for the sake of time, because we got only four minutes left, is no number, <laughs> number two is fall, right? And this is another significant uh, aspect, because then you start looking at the biblical narrative, and you know, because some people have come up with an idea reading the Old Testament from a particular lens that God is misogynistic, uh, sadomasochistic, and uh, he's not a God of love, and all this stuff because they see how he operates. But if you don't understand fall, the fall of man, you won't understand why God functioned and did certain things in the Bible using Israel. One minute they're free, next minute he allows them to get captured. And why was he allowing them to get captured? But we don't have sick of time. Are we getting this up on the screen for those who can't see the board? <laughs> Number three. Media. And number three is promise. And this is important because depending on, upon where your theology begins, that will shape your narrative. And too often, especially within Protestantism, many theologies begin with the fall. Mm -hmm. No, you want to begin with creation because that's where you discover the original intent that was in the mind of God. You don't want to build from where things went wrong. You want to build from where things were right. Yes. In order and good. Amen? And, and, and with those who, they don't appreciate the Imago Dei that was presented in creation. So all you see is fall. You start at fall. That's the human, humanity that you see. 
And it's hard to reconcile certain things when you look at it from here. But when you look at creation, like, no, there is good. Right? And what does that look like? All right, I'm going to keep going. So you got promise. (laughs) You keep writing. Keep writing. Keep writing. Okay. So Promise, Genesis 3.15, where God, in response to the fall, makes a promise. Right? And he brings two characters into play. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And he said that there will be an ongoing conflict that will ultimately be resolved by the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Symbolic language, but it was of what what is called the proto-evangelion. It's the first promise of a redeemer that a messianic figure is going to emerge. That's Genesis 3.15, folks. A messianic figure is going to emerge and lead redemption. So, so Genesis 3.15, <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. Genesis 3.15 is the first promise of redemption. God says, I'm going to fix all of this, but I have a plan on how I'm going to do it. <laughs> My sleeve keeps touching it. You can use the sleeve to erase, but your sleeve keeps touching it, so it messes stuff up. I need my own board, because this board is short. Dis- you got to write from a distance. No, the board is short. The board is short? Yes. Sorry. So, no, we, you got to try and finish this. Preparation. Go ahead. You can go to that one. Explanation. All right. Yeah, I was trying last, to fix that. Oh, R and propagation. P, number six. P-R-O. See? I get the vantage point that you have when I'm writing and making mistakes. Okay, good. And finally... It did pretty good, fella. No, consummation. Oh. (laughs) I am. (laughs) My knees are hurting. That's like when I would go minister in the C3, I would have to use his podium. It came up to here. So back at you. Walk through it. Just call it off. We don't have much time. Yeah, I know. So, so once again, start our cre- creation, uh, fall, the promise, preparation, which is, okay, let me, we don't have enough time. Manifestation, propagation, explanation, and consummation. And the, the crazy thing is, so which I, the conversation was, are we at this place yet? Because if we have a historical framework, are we at consummation? If so, when did that happen? I, I think in order to, to help understand that, the creation, the fall, the promise was for a Messiah, right? And this was Genesis 3.15. So from Genesis 3.15, everything that happens up to Malachi chapter 4, the, last, the end of Malachi, was preparation. Mm-hmm. The judgment on the first world, Noah's flood, the call of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the Exodus, 
the establishment of the Davidic king and covenant, all of that history, because this is history, right? This is redemptive history. All of that history took place in preparation. And then 400 years of silence between Malachi and the New Testament, Matthew, and then manifestation, the birth of Messiah. The fulfillment has come. All of the prophecies in the law of Moses, in the Psalms, uh, and in the prophets is, is confirmed and manifested. So the seed, after all of this preparation, thousands of years of preparation, 2,000 years, biblical history, all right, Christ is manifested as the seed of the woman. Got it? And that's the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This takes you through the whole Bible. We're actually working on a pamphlet with this as part of our discipleship program. All right, well, we'll unpack it. But all of those, all of that preparation had to go into coming to the place where Messiah could be born. And a nation, remember, Abraham was called, the nation of Israel had to be created, and they had to go through all that they went through as a nation with different kings, highs and lows, ended up into captivity in Babylon, then into Medo-Persia, and then into Greece, captivity, Grecian captivity, into Rome. And it's in the Roman Empire, which was the fourth kingdom that we talked about, that now uh, Daniel says there will, a new kingdom will emerge, the fifth kingdom, right? And there will be a leader. And of that kingdom, there will be no end. What does Jesus do? He comes, right? He grows up within the cultural context. And when he's 30 years old, he launches his ministry. And what does he say? The kingdom of, heaven. of the heaven is at hand. And then in, chap in Acts, what happened in the book? So this is the four gospels. Here, the book of Acts, we see the propagation, the spreading of that kingdom, that message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the apostle Paul and some of the other uh, epistle writings are an explanation, takes us into a deeper understanding, introducing the church, the body of Christ, the, the authority of Christ as cosmic ruler of the universe. All of that takes place in the epistle. And then finally, the book of Revelation is the consummation, how it all comes to completion. So we're, we, we believe we're moving through history. So when we think of signs of the times, if you understand this framework, you know that we've gone through all of this. We're here. We're here. Amen? Did he do a good job? Yeah. <laughs> either, either he's got a good memory or he took good notes. <laughs> good, good notes. Now, now, why is this important? Uh, eschatology, right? Your belief about the end time. Because it will influence your involvement in the world. If you subscribe to an eschatology that's individual, which simply means that when you die, you're going to be judged by God for the life that you live. If that's all you have as an eschatology, then you will tend to be apolitical or moderately or cautiously political. You won't get involved in what's happening within the culture, within the society, because you believe that God is going to judge each person and that's it. Got it? So you tend to be more politically conservative, and I don't mean it as a political party or ideology. I'm just talking about you're going to engage politically very moderately 
uh, or not at all. Apolitical means you're, you're not going to be even involved in politics or what's happening socially within society. All right? Or you may be moderately involved. If you have an eschatology that's individual, if you have an eschatology that's collective, which includes the impact on the whole body and society and cosmically, then you're going to tend to be more politically engaged, more socially engaged, because you believe that you have a responsibility to manifest God's justice in the earth. Because if the only justice that's going to be exercised by God is when each individual dies, and that's judgment, no, you're going to stay out of things. But if you believe that we have a responsibility to do justice, to love mercy, as well as walk humbly with our God, then you're going to be more involved in the world in which you live. So your eschatology influences you, the involvement in which you engage in this world in which we live. There's so much more, but I think... We better stop here. <laughs> Did you get anything out of this today? See, now, people may think, well, you know, that's religion. And re no, no, no. This shapes us mm -hmm. as individuals. It shapes how we interact with society, what we believe about each other. If I did not believe in the life dignity of the human person, I wouldn't treat people with dignity and respect. If I didn't believe that we have a responsibility, we are our brother's keeper. If I didn't ever think that we have a responsibility for the common good, all right, then I could care less what's going on and how other people are benefiting or not benefiting. All I want to know is what's in it for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, you understand what I'm talking about? And something that came up on the broadcast, we'll close with this, all right, in, it was, Years ago, but in 2016, they gave it more teeth. And they put a policy in policing, and it's called uh, duty to intervene. Duty to intervene was something that was understood. That if a police officer saw something going wrong, or another officer doing something wrong, you understand, or unlawful, or, or inappropriate, they had a responsibility to report it. Duty to intervene now says, no, you're going to be held accountable if you don't do something about it right then and there. How many understand what I'm talking about? So you have a responsibility. So when you looked at that, how many saw that video? Maybe you didn't even look at it, all right? You wonder, where was, where was the, the sergeant supervisor over these guys? Where, where was the responsibility? See, so there are many, many charges involved here besides the death of the individual, the violation of certain responsibilities. So we talk about training and training and retraining, and it, it ultimately boils down to the, the, the ego of the, per, the individual, right? But that's why we have laws to, to help some of those egos stay in check, see? But duty to intervene is based upon that sense of responsibility for what's going on. We are our brother's keeper. But see, that's Christian ethic. That comes from our Christian faith. And too often, the devil wants to tell you, well, Christianity is a religion that you choose on a menu of religions. Mm -hmm. I want to be a Christian. Maybe I'll be a Muslim. Maybe I'll be a Jew. Maybe I'll be a Buddhist. Mm, I'm checking out Hinduism. No. We believe that Christianity is a revelation of God. God stepped into human history and brought a revelation of himself and unveiled a plan towards the redemption of humanity and the restoration of creation. And we got to stop here. Did you get anything out of this?
This is not some religion that we practice on Sunday. This is our life. This is our life. It shapes and fashions who we are, our, our role, our function, our identity, our interaction with the world in which we live. It affects us in our homes, our families. Got to close, got to close. But we're going to pick up on this because we want to empower you more to understand and articulate this. Good stuff, man. Good stuff, good stuff. Praise the Lord. So we have a minister here. A man who needs no introduction. <laughs> minister Misha Field. Great Praise prayer, by the way. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor. Incredible prayer at the beginning of service. And if you were late, you missed it. It won't be available. Praise the Lord. I praise God. My pastor is the most charming late shamer I have ever met. <laughs> For 20 years. For 20 years, I've been receiving that, and, and it has blessed me. Now, for the record, I do not celebrate the discovery that a criminal is not white. But I did appreciate Pastor Jamal's Eminem sermon illustration. And it reminded me of the time I made a guest appearance at another church. And I got up to speak, and some 12-year-old smart aleck in the back said, Hi, my name is... <laughs> There are unique joys and burdens in standing out. Now, we close every service by saying that Jesus is Lord, but we can't do that without giving someone the opportunity to make him Lord. God is a magnifier. He will extend our lives so that we can celebrate 92 years. He will amplify our voice so we can pray for senators to their face. Our role and our function drive our identity, which means we need to occupy, to take our role, to operate in our purpose, to walk in the authority of our calling. Convictions grow stronger under pressure. Abuses of power bring anger. Systemic problems that transcend identity bring confusion. Tragedy brings tears. And all of these create pressure that strengthen our conviction, which means that abuse makes you stronger. It means confusion forces you to get smarter. And it means tears will deepen your empathy and fortify your resolve. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Mm. God uses mistreatment to make us stronger, and that is good news. We can give God praise for that. The good news is that a holy God so loved a rebellious world that he sent his only begotten son to live a sinless life, die in our place, and rise from the grave conquering death. And in doing so, he paid the price for our sin and gives us a right to everlasting life. The good news is that God gives us favor, wisdom, and courage. The good news is that history moves in a specific direction. The good news is that you can spell check your eschatological messianic text slide in advance. The good news is we can be saved. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you'd like to, I'd like to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you walk with God and walked away, I want to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. 
And if you feel God calling you out upon the water, calling you into a new work, if you know, if you've already said yes to God and you need his strength to carry you into a new season, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Thank you. I see those hands. I see those hands. If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. Come down to the altar so that we, the church, can come into agreement with God's plan for your life and come and pray for you together. Family, let us applaud them. Let us encourage them as they come. Beloved, this is a moment where we have the opportunity to come into agreement with something that was ordained before any of us were formed in our mother's wombs. This is a moment that, that recognizes, that affirms that every setback, that every moment of mistreatment, on, that everything that brought tears, that every trial, every tribulation was bringing us to this point for such a time as this, for a new season of wisdom, for a new season of favor, for a new season of healing, for a new season of hope, for a new season of moving from pain to power, for a new season of walking unapologetically in our purpose, in our calling, for a new season of seeing Jesus move in our lives over and over and over again. Beloved, let us continue to come into agreement and encourage our family, our family, our family as they walk into this new moment in their lives. We've all been here. We are all going to be here again at some point because God is not finished with any of us yet. God is moving us into new places, moving us from, we live life on levels and we arrive in stages and he's moving us to new degrees of authority, new degrees of accountability, new degrees of manifest purpose, new degrees of hope. So let us give God praise and give him praise some more. Hallelujah. They're still coming. They're still coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hallelujah. They're coming large and small, beloved. Sometimes purpose is manifest, and we're 40, or we're 60, or we're 80, and sometimes we're seven. Let us continue to come into agreement with what God is doing in this moment. All right, let us praise God and praise him some more. So we are here at the altar with a thousand different needs, but one almighty God. So whatever you came for, I'm going to ask you to pray this one prayer. Repeat after me. Father. Father. Thank you. Thank you. For this opportunity. For this opportunity. To receive. To receive. Your love. Your love. I repent. I repent. Of my sin. Of my sin. I believe. I believe. Christ died. Christ died. On the cross. On the cross. To pay the price. For my sin. For my sin. And rose again. And rose again. Conquering death. Conquering death. I confess him. I confess him. As Lord. As Lord. And Savior. And Savior. And your word. And your word. Says I'm born again. Says I'm born again. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for mercy. Thank you that no matter. Thank you that no matter. How many times I fall. How many times I fall. I can get back up. I can get back up. If I confess. I confess. You will wash me clean. You will wash me clean. Today. Today. I will walk by faith. I will walk by faith. And not by sight. And not by sight. Order my steps. Order my steps. Guide my feet. Guide my feet. Lead me. Lead me. In the path of righteousness. In the path of righteousness. For your name's sake. For your name's sake. I pray. I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us celebrate. Yeah. Let us rejoice in this new season, in this new moment. Let us come into agreement with everything God is doing and celebrating. Family, we believe that if you prayed those prayers, you are born again, 
You are beginning the process of restoration, and you are ready to take new steps in the work. Amen. As Pastor always says, change is not an event, it's a process. Wherever you are in this walk, I need you to do four things. One, begin to study the Word. Continue to study the Word. Go deeper in the Word. Go higher in the Word. Two, get in a Bible teaching church and stay there. Stick around. Let the carpet become sticky for you. Find a chair that you like and have a seat and take some notes. Yeah. Beloved, I did that one night, and that was 19 years ago. So you blink, and God moves. Three, tell someone about the decision that you made today. Four, keep showing up. And if you are watching online, please call or text the number on the screen. May God continue to bless you. Your life will never be the same. God bless you. Now, Now before you move. God is love. Listen to what I said. I didn't say God loves. I said God is love. In other words, that's his nature. So that's how you have to understand and interact with him. Love will not abandon you, ever. When you mess up, love's going to be there. When you feel alone, love's going to be there. No matter what happens, Love will be there. Don't you ever forget that, and don't you let anybody talk you out of that God. Hell is not the main theme of the Bible. Love is. God is love. And because he's love, he can love you the way love is supposed to be given. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the kingdom of God. This is called community. He gives us his spirit, his word, and community where we all grow. Different levels, walks of life. We're from all over the place. But we are united by our common faith in Jesus Christ. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome. God bless you and thank you. You may go back to your seats. Come on, give them a round of applause as they go back to their seats. Wow. Wow. This is the best part. You know, the life of a church is twofold. We keep having spiritual babies, and these are spiritual babies. Amen? But I said it's twofold. Last week, we had baby dedication. It was one baby. Y'all need to step it up. I'm just saying. Coming out of COVID, we had an altar full of babies. Things have slowed down. Nah, stuff is getting expensive. It's getting expensive out there in these streets. Right. Even the eggs is like $6, you know? <laughs> <laughs> About to get my own chicken coop in the back. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> but we love and appreciate you all as our family, whether you're here in person or online around the world. Thank you for being part of our fellowship 
our community of faith and our spiritual family. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for an incredible day in church. Thank you for the power of praise and worship. Thank you for all of those who make today possible. From our uh, in representatives out in the parking lot, our staff who are welcoming people, guiding people, ushers, band, choir, praise and worship leaders, media, every department, Father. Thank you for their commitment to your kingdom and their, your commi their commitment to your vision here in CCC. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We bless you, Father, and we pray a blessing of your protection, your safety, your wisdom, your guidance, your favor over this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So let's say something good. Chris Blue, come on, let's thank God for Chris Blue. All that energy he brings, you know. You didn't do it like that, Chris? Did I miss something? <laughs> like I said, I'm glad I can walk, okay? Let's say something good as we leave this place, but never God's presence. Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks for tuning in to the A.R. Bernard Podcast. I hope you were enriched by the information and or the conversation. Make sure subscribe by clicking the link in the bio to gain more information about me and the work that I'm doing. Again, thank you and God bless.